Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have John Richards. He's an entrepreneur, investor, mentor, and educator. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You're you're doing a lot of really cool stuff and you have done a lot of cool stuff, but maybe before we kind of get into exactly what you're doing now, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. I was raised in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Uh, born and raised, obviously. I actually born in Philadelphia of all places. My father was on a temporary assignment with Johnson and Johnson, and I just happened to be born there. But uh, the background of the family and everything's Seattle. Okay, so you moved to Seattle at what age? Five months. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. you you wouldn't have no I, no recollection. <laughs> so where did you you grew up in Seattle? Did you where did you end up going to school? Well, so after you know, I was right in West Seattle, which is in the heart of the city, and. Sure. Um, and uh, I uh, went, ended up going to school at Brigham University for my university education. Okay, what'd you and, take? Uh, and in Utah, and I was a chemistry major. I was pre-med. Okay. And in my senior year, uh, determined that medicine wasn't for me, and uh, kind of snuck into some business courses and, and and rediscovered my love for business and entrepreneurship. And and so I left school uh, and went back to Seattle and got involved in the Yellow Pages industry. Okay, so you tell me more about how you got involved in the Yellow Pages. So uh, Yellow Pages uh, industry, in 1984, the Bell System, AT&T at the time, the largest corporation in the world, uh, the federal government uh, had found it guilty of monopolization, antitrust uh, activity was started. So it was broken into eight different companies, okay. kind of like Rockefeller and Standard Oil in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, this happened to AT&T. And so that created seven baby bells, as they were called, that took some of the business and AT&T kept other aspects. For instance, AT&T took long distance and the manufacturing of telephones while the baby bells, for instance, up in the Seattle area and the 14 western states, it was U.S. West. And it kept uh, local dial tone and yellow pages. Okay, interesting. And so uh, that weakened the grip, though, of Ma Bell, so to speak, as the nickname was for AT&T at the time, uh, grip on the Yellow Pages industry, uh, which is a, it was an unregulated part of the industry. And so uh, it was a real heyday for entrepreneurs to start up competing Yellow Pages against the phone company. And so that opportunity was there. And up in Seattle uh, – created a company that started just growing and adding directory titles against U.S. West and and also against a company at the time called GT, which is now part of Verizon, and uh, and then expanded to Portland. So that was the print yellow pages. And for about a decade, 
just uh, the company up in Seattle was a leader in the independent Yellow Pages industry. Okay, so what did you kind of do at Yellow Pages? Well, I actually, uh, being a, a, a guy that took chemistry at the time, at the dawn of the personal computer uh, era, the PCs were changing small businesses dramatically. Sure. Uh, and the advent in 1985, which is about the time I left school, of Aldous PageMaker in Seattle, which was a Seattle company that basically gave birth to the desktop publishing industry, sure. you, were able, you were able to create yellow pages not in the old-fashioned way, uh, which were very manually intensive with cut-and-paste graphics and cut-and-paste on a on an artist board to put together books. You now were doing desktop publishing. And so using that kind of technology, we started creating the advertisements and the book layouts on a desktop publishing software. And that really uh, in, you know dropped the cost of running a Yellow Page company dramatically down. And so I was, for the first few years, focused on the technology side of it to do that and then became more involved in the sales side of it and then eventually um, you know, just had a company where I was president and CEO and and uh, it was just a real heyday. Went through a lot of high rapid growth and new technologies were coming into the yellow pages like crazy, for instance, um, doing color in the yellow page instead of it being, you know, yellow paper with black ink. Now we were doing on white paper and using four color advertisements and photos and things in the ads and adding lots of features. And it was just a really great time. And then what happened was in around 1990, late 1994, uh, the first time ever I was shown the internet. Okay. I didn't know much about it till then. And I had always been a leader in the yellow page industry and most of the trade associations I was serving on the new technology committee and figured out new technologies to advance the yellow page industry. And when I saw the internet, I started realizing someday these print books are going to be obsolete and there's going to be people running around with persistently connected high-speed devices where you'll be able to get information on local businesses, not from going to Yellow Pages, but by just this device. I, I saw that was going to happen. So in 1995, I launched the first ever Internet Yellow Pages coming from a print Yellow Page company. And I did it kind of as an experiment at a Bill Gates-sponsored trade show in Seattle called Online Advantage at the Weston Hotel. I can still remember it. That's awesome. And there was so much excitement about what I was doing, I realized, wait, there could be a real business here. So I went back offline and actually figured out a real business model and relaunched. And we launched um, with our Yellow Pages online and then started signing up other Yellow Pages publishers around the country to join up with us and put their Yellow Pages through our portal. And Yellow Pages on the Internet was born. And then I had a bunch of big companies come to me and want to buy the what I was doing or get involved, which was fascinating. And one of them was Microsoft. There were several others around the country. I spent a lot of time with Microsoft. And about nine months into talking to Microsoft, three guys left Microsoft. And they got together with me and said, hey, Microsoft's just sucking your brain. We're st we were going to start white pages, but we see what you're doing with yellow pages. Let's join up together. And I joined up with them and merged my effort in with them. And that gave birth to the company called Infospace. Sure, I and, remember that. And about two, two and a half years later, uh, just a handful of us became 1,500 people, and we were public on the NASDAQ. It was quite a wild ride. 
Sure, I can imagine. So you you guys IPO'd, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, in 1998. Okay. December, yeah. And, and then um, kind of walk, so you guys IPO'd. Walk me through kind of what, what happened after that. So, uh, you know, it was just a, a great time of building up at the, you know, dawn of the internet age and sure. internet company. Uh, we were real leading. We did online Yellow Pages. We did uh, search. So we were always in the top five most traffic search sites, too. And uh, from 98 to 2001, the company just grew and matured. And then I retired in 2001. Uh, and... You know, called it a day from that effort. And in 2001, uh, my alma mater, Brigham Young University, called up and said, Hey, if you're not going to do anything, why don't you uh, come teach? And I didn't know that that was possible. And But after seeing if I wanted to do that, I elected to do that. And in 2002, relocated to Utah okay. and became, became a professor of entrepreneurship and a really active angel investor in the Utah scene, which Utah has been the entire time I've been in Utah, just on fire with technology companies and entrepreneurship. And so I've been really involved in the venture scene in Utah and uh, with angel groups and doing, uh, you know, starting an accelerator that's similar to Y Combinator and Techstars called Boom Startup and just other things like that. Sure. No, that that's great. So I, I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into, um, you, you mentioned you were teaching like kind of entrepreneurship, but what what are you teaching in those classes? Like just at a high level. Yeah, from 2002 to 2010, we taught just kind of the normal classic entrepreneur textbook. You know, here's I'm I'm a an entrepreneur that's had some failures and successes and I, I'm teaching some things, but in 2010 everything really changed with the advent of lean startup right. and you know uh, Steve Blank and Alex Osterwalder and lean startup in 2010 we threw out all the old curriculum and replaced it with lean startup and so ever since 2010 um, Brigham Young University itself is now the number two ranked entrepreneurial university in the world and it's a leader in lean startup and teaching that and. I left there in 2013, but it's just a really strong curriculum uh, to teach. Obviously, it's the right curriculum for startups and entrepreneurship. And so that's what's now, uh, you know, beforehand there were elements of that, but it's really a much stronger uh, subject matter and curriculum now because of the, you know, scientific approach to entrepreneurship that you get with the lean startup. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you mentioned your involvement with, uh, well, you're the founder and CEO of uh, Startup Ignition. What exactly mm -hmm. is that and kind of why did you decide to start that up? Okay, well, uh, so after about 12 years at BYU, a lot longer than I thought I was going to stay there, mm -hmm. as a, and a lot of great things were accomplished, I had a little sideways uh, uh, move that I wouldn't have predicted for myself, but I helped the city of Provo, Utah uh, sell its fiber network to Google. Okay, interesting. Google uh, had started a, the, its Google Fiber project in Kansas City, yep. and shortly thereafter, Provo had to repossess its fiber network from an earlier purchaser. And so the mayor of Provo asked me to be on a committee with others to help figure out what to do with the fiber network. And so uh, I suggested that the mayor take a look at the F Google Fiber project and approach Google Fiber about maybe making the second city 
uh, Provo after Kansas City. Sure. And lo and behold, the mayor of Provo, who's a great mayor, his name is John Curtis, he went out and did it and sold it to uh, Google. And Google Fiber made it its second city to come online, Provo, Utah. And then uh, the, Google had decided that in Kansas City they had not had a local leader and they wanted one in Provo. So uh, I, my name was thrown in the hat and Google then offered me the position of the head of Google Fiber in Utah. And, That's uh, amazing. I, yeah, I took that position. It was kind of funny because I was about 50 years old and, uh, <laughs> and uh, everybody else was around 30. And uh, and it was a great experience. Google is a wonderful company and they treat people really nicely. It's still a big company and, you know, some bureaucracy I'm not quite used to as an entrepreneur. Sure. But, but it, I said I'd do it for a year. I stayed almost two years and it had a great uh, entree into Provo and it's gone. it went really well. But when I left there, um, I went back to helping entrepreneurs and mentoring and angel investing and I started meeting with entrepreneurs all the time and I had some students that had taken my classes before approach me and say, you know these boot camps that, uh, for instance, my son Tyler Richards had started a boot camp called Dev Mountain, which is a coding boot camp. Okay. And the boot camp concept is, hey, in a short period of time, 12 weeks, for instance, you can be trained on a skill and really have it change your life. For instance, in coding boot camps, you go 12 weeks and get a job that doubles your salary. Right. And so these students came and said, you know, why don't you start an entrepreneur boot camp? Because when we took your got your information that changed our lives, we had to matriculate to a university. We had to take a bunch of general education courses that we didn't want to take and were irrelevant and we had to take a bunch of prerequisite courses to get in the business school to take your 400 level class which changed our lives why don't you take that and put that out in the community in a boot camp so people anybody can take it not just an elite few that make it through that gauntlet at a university and that was an intriguing idea so i went out and did some market validation and business model validation on that concept and found out there was demand for it. And so I decided to do that and started Startup Ignition, an entrepreneur boot camp, which is uh, helping uh, the first curriculum we set up was to help people go from no idea or just the inklings of an idea and really nail a business model and do that in a three-month time period. And we announced the program and in two days filled up the class and we're off to the races. It's been going for a little over a year and we've run about six or seven cohorts through the program and it's going really well. No, that that's amazing. And I, I love how basically people came to you and said, you need to do this, right? And, right. and then like that, that's, that's always kind of fascinating. Um, me. So I'm, I'm curious then in the three weeks, th uh, sorry, 13 week course, what mm -hmm. do you guys kind of teach just for the listener to understand if they were looking to, you know, to, to come to the program? Well, sure. I'll tell you what that is. And I'll start with just at our uh, web address, startupignition.com. And if you drill down into the courses tab, it'll tell you a section called what you'll learn. Sure. And that comprehensively goes over it. But we have two sets of curriculum now. One we call the nail class, which is about nailing your business model. And then we have another class called build, 
where if you've nailed your business model, how do you build the infrastructure so that you can properly scale the company? Because there is a problem. People follow lean startup to nail a business model, then they forget the lean concepts, and they go kind of crazy scaling a company improperly, wasting a lot of time and capital, just like they tried to avoid when they were following lean startup. They need to scale in a lean way as well. And so we've got a second set of curriculum for that now. But in the nailing class, the nail class where we – help people nail a business model, we start off uh, and cover the first part of it is them learning about themselves because you can't have a mentor or program help you until you know where you want to go. It's kind of like the Cheshire Cat and Alice in Wonderland when Alice comes up and asks the Cheshire Cat, which way do I go at the fork in the road? And and so, well, where do you want to head? Where do you want to go? And she goes, I don't know. She goes, well, then it doesn't matter. If you don't know where you want to go, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah, it's really important to uh, – an entrepreneur knows where they want to head. So, for instance, I have them really think about five years from now, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? What do you, have you, what do you want to have achieved? And the class – and the course is mostly about that, them knowing who they are and what they want because then somebody can help them get there. So that's what we do at first and then we help them learn how to not just come up with ideas out of thin air because that's not how it works. It's about observing the world and being good problem hunters and looking for problems out in the marketplace that can be solved and then when you come up with solutions for that, can you monetize that solution? And is this idea, this problem solution set worthy of actually doing a full business model hypothesis and then going through the experimentation of your business model to uh, do the full lean startup treatment and eventually get to a minimum viable product and really nail that business model through customer validation and business model validation. And we take them through all of that in a mentored, a heavy dose of mentoring and uh, get them to that point. And that's what we do in the 13 weeks. That, that's great. I, I love that. I, I think you're right. Like there's a lot of people that either can't afford university, don't want to go to university, but obviously doing something 13 weeks where you learn everything you need to know is like mo- pretty much anybody can do that, right? Yeah, it, it's pretty astounding too, just that it's just turning out that universities, there's still a great place for having collisions happen. That's probably the best thing. I'm not negative on universities. Sure. There, People meet and come together there, but at the same time, there is a lot of waste. It's very high tuition, a lot of very high PhD, paid PhDs, and a lot of expensive real estate. And so these, the tuition's high, and there's a real question on a lot of the majors if they deliver a return on investment to the student. And so um, the skills-based areas of education, there's a real question now. Does a four-year degree, how does it compare to a 13- or 12-week course that delivers the skill and really prepares the person for what's needed? And so you're seeing – Coding boot camps, digital marketing boot camps, sales boot camps, and now I'm doing an entrepreneur boot camp. These are skills-based areas where a been-there-done-it expert can probably give you more hard skills that are that can get you where you need to be in 12 weeks than a four-year degree taught in the abstract by perhaps somebody who's never done it before. It's a real question for the higher education world, isn't it? Oh, totally. And to be 100% honest with you, and I'm I'm sure it sounds like you you share the same um, feeling, is I've seen people be successful with and without a degree. And and in some ways, it it really has nothing to do about your education. It's more about 
who you are and your your drive and your passion and you know the being ability to learn and and whatnot. So I, I think well, in, well, in Kevin, you're bringing up an important point. One of the stats: more than fifty percent of the last three or four years of college graduates in the United States of America, the millennials graduating and what they're graduating into, are not getting jobs in their area of major and they're taking and they're taking low paying service jobs something like 53% of the college graduates come out with 25 to 100,000 dollars in debt and only land a job with a 19,500 on average salary wow. so if you have 100,000 dollars in school debt and you're only getting a job for less than 20,000 dollars a year that's not a great place to be in life no, you, you might spend the rest of your life paying that off, right? That's the yeah, sad reality of that. Yeah, not good. No. So what what is the cost of your program? So the nail class is $2,500 flat fee for the tuition okay. and uh, nothing else. Um, I had been operating an accelerator, and I think accelerators are great, but – the average accelerator like Techstars or Y Combinator, they take equity in the company. And um, I think that there's it's really refreshing to have a place where you can go get great knowledge and help but not give up equity in your company. So that's one thing. And then um, – and so that's what's been done. The build class, which is for the more advanced, the requirements for the build class are that you've nailed your model and the founder CEO is full-time working on the company. That one is $4,000. Co-founders that want to take the class with the founder CEO who's required, it, you can't take it if you're not the founder CEO unless your founder CEO is also taking it. Right. Then the other, the other co-founders are only um, – uh, half that price at two thousand okay. dollars. So very affordable, especially compared to a university degree. It, yes, and and we give we give a lot of mentoring after you finish the program. There's a really strong alumni um, environment that's been created. For instance, tomorrow night is our third alumni reunion. That's great. And and we the mentoring continues after the course. You still have access to mentoring and help, which has really been a good thing for all these entrepreneurs. Because sometimes you know they don't get everything done in 13 weeks that they'd like to, and they need a month or two more, and so they get more mentoring. Sure, that's great. So I I know you also do um, some investing. Um, do you invest in some of the companies coming out of the boot camp, or does it really depend? Um, well, obviously, you as a matter. As a matter of policy, during the course, while they're in the course, we don't approach that subject. So that's not – as a policy, we don't do that. But afterwards, that's certainly possible. Um, on a handful, I've joined their advisory board. Okay. Um, I haven't yet made an investment in one of the companies. That's not to say I won't. There's several that I could be interested in doing so. Personally, I do about four to six angel investments a year. And so um, – that is certainly possible that that could happen in, in a startup ignition. But that's not the purpose of why I'm doing this. Right. The purpose of why I'm doing this is because I enjoy doing it. I like to help entrepreneurs, and it seems like a good mechanism to do that. But certainly if the entrepreneur wanted it and it was a good fit for me, that could happen. So you mentioned fit. Um, do you just invest in local Utah companies kind of in North America? And then where, what type of industries do you invest in? Well, I'm, I'm – Definitely mostly in high-tech and software-driven companies, internet, mobile, SaaS. Okay. Um, I do some life sciences, but frankly, life sciences I don't always understand. Uh, so 
uh, that's that's ten. But uh, consumer products has been more common lately too because of the advent of Kickstarter right. and where consumer products can be done now just as affordably as a software company. That's kind of interesting. And so those are the types I invest in. And um, uh, let's see, the other part of your question was those types and oh and the geography so definitely i like ones that are in my local area but with today's world of angel list and other and funders club uh i'm involved with those and and have been involved with i've done investments through them it was like for instance you know y combinator every year there's a fund started that invests in the top 10 why you know why Conrad does about 60 or so companies a year yeah. and the top 10 companies there's a fund a fund that's created to invest in the top 10 why Conrad companies each year and i've invested in that and that's turned out real well no that's that's great so for people that don't know um what exactly kind of an angel investor is do you maybe want to give them a quick overview and like what it is and kind of the, the range that an angel investor invests in Sure. So the question is, what is what does a successful entrepreneur who's had a liquidity event, so an entrepreneur who has sold his company and put some money in his pocket, in his bank account, mm-hmm. um, more than he needs to live on, what does he do? And the most common answer is he starts investing in other entrepreneurs. It's a very uh, common thing. And so an angel investor is an individual who – usually a high net worth or wealthy individual that has the extra money to invest in other entrepreneurs. And so uh, it's not an easy game. It's tough. Investing in entrepreneurs and investing in startups and emerging companies is a, is a risky investment proposition. So there's a new skill. A lot of newborn wealthy people from selling their company go into angel investing and promptly lose a lot of money because it's a whole new discipline, a whole new way of looking at things. Just because you're a good entrepreneur doesn't mean you're going to be a good angel investor. So it's a different skill set. But an angel investor is an individual of that nature uh, where if they do have the capital to invest, they can be an angel investor. And then angel investors often act solo but can also act in a group. So there's angel groups, organized clusters of individual angels that act more in unison. So they listen to the pitches from or presentations from inve- uh, from entrepreneurs in a in in a common environment so you might have 10 20 30 angel investors in the room that are members of the same angel investor group and they're listening to the presentation from an entrepreneur and let's say there were 20 angels in the room and maybe eight decided they wanted to invest and that goes forward that way uh very rarely the angel investors actually pool their money in advance and create a fund but it's more often angel investors just meet together and they make individual decisions on where they're investing in and this is across the united states there's a lot of angel investors and angel investing groups the 2008 great recession kind of changed things a little bit a lot of angel investors discovered that they're maybe not so good at angel investing and venture capital firms were discovering that they were maybe too big for early stage companies because the cost of launching and taking a company through the early stage is so much less than it was 10-15 years ago that a 200-300 million dollar venture capital firm is not practical for doing early stage investments because if a company only needs one, two, three, four million 
million dollars lifetime from a venture capitalist, having a you know four hundred million dollar fund means you're going to be investing in a hundred companies, which is not practical for a fund. So the emergence of what's called the seed fund is one of the biggest developments in the last five eight years with angel investors and early stage investing. So a lot of angel investors have. Uh, become investors in seed funds and allowed the people that run the seed funds to do the due diligence and be kind of the determiners of who's getting the capital. So let me just tell you about Utah. In Utah, in our market here, we had angel investors and venture capitalists kind of lose their clout in the early stage investing and we had an emergence of seed funds like in the state of Utah there's seed funds like one's called Kickstart Seed Fund another one's called Peak Ventures and there's several others and they are really the power brokers in today's startup world because they have uh, put together a fund where angel investors are investing in the fund and they are able to write checks and, and do follow on investments when the company needs more money after the initial investment and they kind of are determining who's getting the capital in a lot of the markets around the US now and it they, these funds are usually about you know anywhere from 20 to 60 million dollars in size and they tend to be very uh, good at what they do and they seem to be getting good returns at least they are here in Utah interesting okay no that that makes sense so i'm i'm curious like What's next for you? Because you, you've kind of done it all, right? And you, you are kind of still doing it, right? Yeah, that's kind of fun. Well, I've had the great satisfaction of my son, who I told you about, sure. that did, did a company called Dev Mountain. And that coding boot camp he started, um, I was able to help them and be involved as a mentor and on the advisory board. And it was fun to help him and, and just a great satisfaction from that. And then they sold that for $20 million to Capella University, a, a billion dollar public company just this last May. And it's been fun to see those things happen. So there's just a lot of great satisfaction in helping entrepreneurs and, and seeing them through to success. And so I, I hope to continue that for a lot more years. That's just very, very satisfying to see and help people do good things and to bring great products and services to the market. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I'm lucky enough to be able to be, do that and spend the rest of my time with my wife and family and enjoy my grandkids. I now have three grandchildren and um, it's a pretty good life. Sure. No, that's awesome. So I'm curious then, how much time, roughly a week, do you spend kind of between, you know, teaching with the boot camp and kind of mentoring and being an investor? Like, is it still kind of a full-time thing for you or is it part-time or does it really depend on the time of year? Well, if you ask my wife, she'd probably say yes, but it's, <laughs> it's quite flexible. The okay. boot camp is, the boot camp's in the evenings. So... Okay. So you can be working full time then, I guess. Yeah, you can be the the participants can have a job or be going to school. Now that's not true for that second curriculum with the CEO. Right. Like I told you, we want the CEO to be full time at his company, but they're still in the evening, which is very convenient for a lot of the people, and, and that's so that takes up two evenings a week for me. And then, uh, but I've got other instructors now. We've got a, just a great set of instructors and in, involved in the program too now. But the and then I spend time mentoring and meeting with these participants, and um, that's really that's really going well. And um, 
that I, if I had to say, my wife would probably say it is full time, but to me, it's more like I'd say 20 to 30 hours a week. And it gives me a real focus and I really enjoy it. And, uh, I, I, it's super satisfying just on one hand, for instance, you got to understand I spent 12 years in, in, you know, a university that's a, behemoth bureaucracy that's very frustrating environment for the average entrepreneur and I took it for 12 years and withstood that sure. and it's really it's really fun now to basically get the good parts of that which are being with students mentoring them helping them talking about entrepreneurship dealing with entrepreneurship but now kind of starting to start initiatives like doing my own little mini university but I don't have any of the baggage of dealing with all of the negatives of the bureaucracy and the administration and some of the PhDs who don't get it because you know university uh, the that's the PhD world and some of them don't always appreciate non PhDs and the things we're trying to do so the, I don't have to deal with any of that and it's very rewarding sure that makes a lot of sense are, are you looking to ever kind of move startup ignition to other cities as well or do you think you'll just keep it in Utah I've had a lot of people approach me about that um, there's a little bit of constraint these boot camps are not perfectly scalable companies matter of fact they're semi scalable at best because this constraint is on the instructors uh, startup ignition our motto is that we teach you what to do and what not to do by been there done it mentors right. and so we we uh, we you know there's only a finite number of people that have had failure and success and are financially independent and have created multi-million dollar enterprises and taking multi-million dollars off the table and can teach and talk about that while they're you know and they're good teachers and good mentors so you have to have a successful entrepreneur that's had enough experience to have some failures and then have to be a good teacher and a good mentor that's a very limited yeah, fair. That's a limited number of people. So, yes, I want to – some of the goals are to expand to other areas and maybe even before that look at uh, going online right. because I think about 80% of the curriculum could be delivered through an online mechanism and we could then turn the time right now in, in class into more mentoring time when, when our instructors and mentors are meeting with people. So there's some real good things, thoughts on where they're going. So I appreciate you asking that question. If there are exceptional people that have a background similar to mine that would like to do this in another city, I'm very open to that. And I've had people approach me from several states like that. Nothing's worked out yet because, um, again, you have to have that rare combination of being a good teacher and a mentor as well well as a successful entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, throughout kind of our whole conversation, you keep bringing up a mentor. And I think, personally, I, I think they're extremely important. And obviously, you share the same thing. But I'm curious to know your take on if, if somebody's looking to find a mentor, how do they even go about getting one? Well, the I believe worldwide the venture ecosystems in each metropolitan or you know city area are very very friendly and and the entrepreneurs that have made it in the area want to help other entrepreneurs uh, I believe in Utah that's on overdrive there's a very helpful ecosystem here and I'm sure it's the same way in other places but they really want to help each other we have a plethora of events and venues and activities and organizations to help entrepreneurs. I kind of tell a lot of entrepreneurs they're living in the gilded age of 
you know, or the golden age of, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship right now where there's so many things available to them to help them. And, you know, even at the universities right here in Utah, the University of Utah built this new $50 million building that's just incredible for entrepreneurship. And it's just amazing to see what's available to entrepreneurs. So I think there's a very giving attitude generally. So uh, finding a mentor, if I were an entrepreneur, I'd want to find a mentor that's done something similar to me and had success. And I would just directly find them through whatever mechanism possible and ask them if I could take them to lunch and then grow into that mentor relationship. I mean, everybody has to eat and and it can all start with a 10 or $15 lunch that you buy for a mentor and you get a free 60 to 90 minutes to see if there's a good fit between you and that mentor. And that's, that's a great way to start. But, you know, it's not hard to do research and find out. For instance, if I were starting a B2B SaaS software company and I was in, you know, wherever, if I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I would then look up who what b2b SaaS companies in the last year or two have sold and been successful and who are those entrepreneurs that did that and can i meet with them and i'm sure that somewhere in milwaukee wisconsin there are organizations that meet regularly and have directories or lists of these members and those people are going to be in some of those organizations i don't think it's that difficult personally no, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's it's always interesting to get kind of people that have been there, done that, and are mentoring, give advice about how to get a mentor. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I think the real trick is this. Once you become, you learn how to do that, you'll find you'll find a lot of mentors. And then you've got to be really skillful as an entrepreneur to know that, okay, if you get five to ten mentors that are helping you with your startup, you might get conflicting advice. And that's natural and normal. You want diversity. But the real trick for an entrepreneur is how do they deal with they're on a cr- crucial decision and they get four different opinions on what to do. Sure. Then it's then they've got to learn the skill of how they take in all this advice and they have to use their best judgment then to interpret that advice and make a decision to go forward. And I often tell the entrepreneur that's just a natural part of the mentor process and what's going to happen, that you're going to see these conflicting advice, but your job is to make the best decision for your situation. Nobody knows your situation as well as you do, and you take in that advice and then make your decision go forward. And I also let them know that the power of making a decision and moving forward instead of having analysis paralysis is often the most important thing that they're continuing to move forward and making decisions. No, that, that, that's really good advice. Um, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So maybe yeah. let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about Startup Ignition again and, and yourself online. Sure. I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn. So you can go to LinkedIn and look up John Richards in Utah and you'll find me pretty easy, even though there's a few others in Utah, of course. But uh, and, and so it, it's very easy to find me there. Startupignition.com is our website in a five ten minute read of that website you'll get exactly what we're doing and um it, it's going real well we enjoy it and we'd love to hear from others we've had people from other nations come to utah and this is no joke i at for the first person that did it i uh really tried to it was a woman and i just tried to discourage her from doing it and she said no i've looked all over the internet i want to fly in and i want to stay there and take this course because it's what i need she had really strong english skills and uh her native language is not english and she came in and did it and she's now gone back to her country and becoming an entrepreneurial leader in her city it's really fascinating 
That that's amazing, and and that's got to be like very rewarding for for you, right? And and the yeah, team yes. around you. Indeed, it is. My wife and I took a vacation to there, and saw her, and she was really nice and treated us really well, and it was really fun to have that. So it's kind of you start creating relationships, and it's kind of funny that it's you know gone international in some ways. Yeah, that's great. That that's one of the things that I love about even doing this show is like I get to talk to people all over the globe, right? And it's it's awesome. Like I'm up in Canada right now, you're in Utah, but it really doesn't matter because through the internet we can it's like we're sitting in the same room, right? Uh, yeah, I think about when I came out of college in the 80s, even though it was the dawn of the PC revolution, which was amazing, the, what's available today and to the entrepreneur and now to start companies and do things, I just it you know, <laughs> it's astounding. It's really astounding what's available so i mean entrepreneurship is a true option for today's young person to decide what they want to do with their life and you know for the person that it fits they'll find a rewarding great life where they can really be in charge of their destiny and and do good and help society and uh, and make a life for themselves that is extremely rewarding sure well john i really appreciate you taking the time and your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and, you know, judging by your profile, like if anybody goes and looks you up on LinkedIn, like your LinkedIn profile of the history of things you've been involved in is like incredibly long. Like you've, we've only really scratched the surface of kind of your background and, and what you've been into. So, you know, I do really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And, you know, like I said, I, I really look forward to keeping in touch with you. And who knows, maybe we'll do another one of these uh, again in the future. Sounds good. And Kevin, I'll also end by uh, tipping my hat to you and what you're doing. I love these type of productions and I think they're very inspiring for entrepreneurs um, and the people that you've had on it and what you've done and how you're helping other people catch catch fire is, is really important too. So well done. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, I'll let you go, but we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.